Uh, but we're going to continue in our sermon series today. We got a, a full service. We have communion at the end of the service, which is really important. And this this message, uh, these verses, really just tee us up perfect for what we're going to be doing at the end of the service as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and what that means in our lives and the grace that's extended to, to us and all people in that. But just a quick overview, if you're new here today and haven't been a part of the last three messages, we're going through the book of Titus, which is kind of a short uh, book, kind of often forgotten book, but it's, it's just full of important truth. And, and kind of the overall theme of that is that the truth of God transforms us. It transforms every part of who we were and who we are and who we're going to be. And really what happened in this book is that the Apostle Paul left his ministry partner Titus on an island called Crete. And this place was crazy. And it was just chaos. And people were just swept up in deceit and ungodliness and and unholy living. And now Titus is having to kind of uh, plant these churches and and help transform people uh, or minister to people with the truth that will transform them. And last week, Pastor Chris spoke on the, the topic of disciplined life and what it means for every person in every stage of life and how God's truth can transform you. And today we're going to talk about specifically how God's grace transforms you. And, and that grace is a great teacher and instructor in our life, and, and it works in us in all situations. And the reality is that everyone here, uh, every person is learning something every day. Every day we, we learn new things, new bits of information, uh, how things work, how things should be. And, and that's an immense blessing we have, right? The ability to learn every day. And we live in a day and age where you can look up information on anything instantly, right? My, my boy, I wanted to know how Legos were made. And I, I type it into YouTube and there's like a hundred videos on how Legos were made. And you can learn to very specific details and, and everything. So there's this blessing we have now of, of information is so readily available. We can learn things instantly. But it's also kind of a curse, right? You, you maybe learn things you didn't want to know or, or advice you weren't really soliciting uh, is, is brought to you anyway. And if you are a new parent, uh, especially uh, for moms out there, and if you, are look, if, you, if you search for advice on the internet... You're going to get way more than you bargained for, and all of it's going to conflict with each other, and I leave you more confused than when you started. But what but we're all learning, and we're all being taught these valuable lessons, whether we're searching for it or not. In fact, just the other day at breakfast, my five-year-old uh, gave me some valuable advice, and it wasn't something I was looking for, but it was good advice. And uh, we were eating breakfast, and I was asking him about the day and about school, and he's kind of quiet, and I could tell something was on his mind. And he just put down his fork, and he looked at me, and he said, straight in my eyes, Dad, always remember to wear pants. <laughs> now, I can't disagree with him, right? That's really good advice. I can't say it's advice that I needed in the moment or something that I had struggled with in my life. Uh, but I've been taking his advice every single day since then, and including today. Whether we need to know it or whether we want to know it, uh, the grace of God teaches us the most valuable things we can learn in our life. And today we're going to look at just five quick verses, and each of those verses give us a valuable lesson. There will be five lessons of grace. And so we're going to read all five verses off the top here and then take some time to go through them 
one by one. But if you'd open up in your Bibles now to Titus 2, uh, we're going to read verses 11 through 15. But let me just pray for us uh, quickly before we read this text and discuss it today. So, Lord, we want to thank you for all of the ways that you're working in our lives. And, and today, God, as we learn about your grace, we learn about salvation in you, the most important things we can learn about and the, the most important things to guide us. I just pray, God, wherever we're at, wherever any of us are at today in our faith journey, if we've been there going for uh, 50 years on this journey or we haven't even started it, God, teach us today. Teach us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, and work in our lives and, and transform us with your truth. So, God, I just pray that we would learn from your grace today the most important lessons we can learn in life. And so, God, I just pray that my words be your words, that you touch each of us right where we are. And we pray this now in your power and your glory and your name. Amen. Titus 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared... That offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So as we read those, we're going to go back to the first verse we read, first 11, and, and kind of gather the lesson of grace. And, the, and what we learn here is that grace teaches us who God is. And what I mean by that is, is who God really is. Because I think everyone has in their minds their own concepts and their own expectations of who God is or who God should be. But this, this verse really teaches us who God is. And in short, God is graceful. And God is loving. And that should be all you need to know about God. That God is gracious. God is loving. And God is the God who saves. Now when Paul wrote this, and if it's read among this island of Crete... This is going to be totally opposite of their understanding of who God is. Because this was an island that was working under the, the Greek God philosophy. And, and they believed that their island was the birthplace of Zeus, the, the chief god of the Greek gods. And, and their idea of God was one uh, who is, is vengeful, one who is jealous, one, is, one who is deceptive and, and manipulative. And you never quite knew if you were pleasing God or not. You just kind of hoped you were. But here, we're reading that, that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. All people. And there's many who, who come in with, with wrong assumptions of who God is. And I've heard some things in my own life things that were said directly to me of, of, of what people think about God. And these are family members, these are friends, these are people I've met. 
uh, just for the first time. And I've heard things like, God doesn't care about me. Or God has forgotten about me. I've heard comments like, God is petty and God is insecure if he needs my praises. God just needs to leave me alone. Or God is mean. God has been mean to me in my life. And there's many people, whatever variation of of that, there's many people who believe these lies about God in their life. But grace teaches us who God is. That he has appeared to offer salvation to all people. That God wants to save you through his grace. We see three really important observations about grace in, in this specific verse here. And if you're looking for verses to remember, this is a really good one to remember. Because it tells us first that, that there's a sovereign grace of God. That this is sovereign grace. That this is not the grace of me. This is not the grace of you. This is the grace of God. And that's a very important qualifier. Because sovereign grace, God's grace, is, is greater than any grace we could ever produce or experience among one another. Now, some of us are more gracious than others. Some of us are more patient than others, but every person, every human has a limit to their grace. And there's something that I call uh, among people of, of the dunzo list. All right? Everyone has this limit, but there's a certain point in which you are just dunzo with someone, right? And you don't want to talk to them, you don't want to associate them, you're just done. And the reality is, is that all of us, because of our sin, deserve to be on the dunzo list of God. That, that's what we deserve. But God's grace, the sovereign grace of God, is, is greater than our grace. So thank God we're not God. And thank God, God is God. And the, the basic definition of grace here is, is unmerited favor, right? Getting what we do not deserve. And the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. There's a sovereign grace here. In John uh, 1, 16, and and this is also talking about Jesus, right? The fullness of God's grace who has appeared. John 1, 16 is talking about this fullness or this coming of Christ into the world. And it says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. And this is a great definition of sovereign grace or God's grace. Grace upon grace. And this means unending grace. And I thought about what that could mean, something to illustrate that. And I remembered my first time going to the ocean. I think all of us remember our first time going to the ocean. Unless we were raised there, then it's, then it's just something normal for you. But I was, I was about 10 years old, my first time going to the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And, and I remember so excited to swim in the ocean. Uh, but I was about two feet shorter than I am now. And, and I remember going out as a windy day, and I was trying to run into the ocean, and the waves would crash me in the chest, right? And it kind of put me back, and I tried to run into the ocean again, and then a few seconds later, another wave would crash me in the, in the chest. And it just overwhelmed me every time. And the waves just kept coming and coming and coming, and they just never stopped. And, and that's what the grace of God is like, is that there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The sovereign grace of God never 
runs out. And it's not just sovereign grace, but it is, is saving grace. It's grace that has appeared to offer us salvation. And this the word salvation is really important here. Salvation or, or being saved or being freed or being delivered is, in short, the difference between heaven and hell. It is the difference between eternal glory and eternal suffering. It is the difference between being in the presence of God forever and ever and ever or being absent from God forever and ever and ever. The salvation is the most important thing in anyone's life. And it's only offered through what? Grace. Saving grace. No one can be saved in, in any other means but, but grace. Every part of our salvation in God is through his grace. We deserve to be on the dunzo list. But he saves us and he redeems us. And this is spelled out perfectly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Not from ourselves, but a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. If you have found salvation in God, it is purely because of his grace. And it says that this is sufficient for all people. All right? And we see this, this all people. Do you know what all people means in the Greek? All people. It, it is exactly what it says here. There's no mistranslation. His, his grace offers salvation to all people. Now, this kind of combats the idea of legalism or exceptionalism, that, that God's grace is only extended to certain people, the select few, the people who know the secret password to get into the secret club. No, God's grace is extended to all people. But you have to be careful. It doesn't mean that every person is saved. That's the idea we call universalism which is that every person, regardless of who they are and where their faith is, that eventually will be saved. And that's not a biblical idea either. But we understand is, is that, just look at the word appear here. The word appear in the Greek is epiphane, which is where we get the word epiphany. And epiphany means to appear or to radiate or to shine. It says that, that God's grace has appeared or has, has shined over the earth like the sun would. So every part of the earth is subject to be shined on by the sun. But you can choose to sit in the shade or the shadows or to stay inside. But this grace of God is available for all people. It is sufficient for all people in all sins. And so that's, that's, the, that's the, the hope we have out of this. And the lesson is no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, if you think you don't deserve the grace of God, well, it, that's actually true. But God gives it anyway. And it has appeared, it is shining on all people. And all you need to do is soak in the sun. All you need to do is take in the sun. The sun, Jesus. There's unlimited provision for every sin of every person. And nobody is excluded from the saving work of Jesus unless you choose to be. There's sovereign, saving, and sufficient grace that teaches us who God really is. And this is the verse I wanted to spend the most time on this morning because I think this is the backdrop in which we understand everything to come. 
as we go on to verse 2, that grace teaches us who we should be. I'll read the verse here again. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace teaches us who we should be. And if you trust in God for your salvation, if you trust that he loves you enough that he, he died for you to set you free from these sins, then the compelling thing you, you receive from grace is, is that you want to walk in that freedom. And a crucial part of the Christian life is living. And living in that freedom. And so what this really means in practice is, is not that you should be perfect in every area of your life, but, but that you have a new direction in your life. And if you're struggling with some kind of sinful habit or pattern in your life, then any kind of release or freedom from that comes through grace. It's through God's grace that you can be free from that. And when you're free in the Son, you are free indeed. Now, a misapplication of this idea that, that grace covers any sin in your life, no matter what you've done, a misapplication of that is to say, well, if God's grace will always forgive me, then I can just always sin. And, and no matter how much I sin, God's grace is going to cover that sin, and, and, and so I just don't need to change because God's going to forgive me anyway. And that's an idea the problem is it's just not a biblical idea. And I think it can mislead people to kind of abuse the grace of God. And this is spelled out pretty clearly. Um, if you want to uh, flip back and read it with me, I, I encourage you that in Romans 5. And, and this is kind of a hinge point in the book of Romans where really the first part of this book is setting up basically we are, we are sinful uh, we, are, we are doomed on our own power, and, and, and God has come, uh, and he has sent his son Jesus to save us. And this is now like the hinge point of, of what we see in life in Christ versus life in ourselves. And at the end of uh, Romans 5, this is uh, verse, we'll start in verse 20. It says that the law was brought in so that the trespass may increase. And basically what that means is, is the law of God helps us to understand our faults and our failures and our sins. But where sin is increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you read those verses, it's saying you might be aware of your sin, and no matter how big your sin is, God's grace is more. Okay, God will forgive you. So you might come to the conclusion of, well, if, I, if God's grace is bigger, then why not just keep sinning? Well, Paul asked that question in 6.1. What then shall we say? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's this... We have to understand that, that, that conduct as, as Christians and, and how we live doesn't bear on our salvation, right? It is not through works that so many men can boast, but it becomes an expression of our faith. A person saved by grace is also changed by grace. And it teaches us, it instructs us, it, it urges us, and this is the Spirit's work in our life. And it, it tells us to say no to ungodliness or to deny 
ungodliness or worldly passions. And this is the complete opposite of the culture we live in, which is basically saying, if you feel you want to do it, then do it. Like give in to all of your urges and your passions, but the grace of God tells us to deny those things that we know are wrong. To live self-controlled, which is really talking about your, your inward relationship with yourself. Being able to tell yourself no. To be upright, and this means kind of your outward relationship with others. And, and then godly lives, which is this upward relationship. Grace transforms every part of your life. And the song, one of the most well-known songs in the world, is, is the song Amazing Grace. It was written about 250 years ago, and it, it just keeps growing in popularity, which is, which is amazing. Everyone knows the song Amazing Grace. And John Newton wrote these words in verse 2. is "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. I wonder if John had this verse in mind when he wrote those words. But I think another important part here, not just from the compelling need to change and how grace teaches us and informs us, is to know that if you are a good and a godly person, which, by the way, there's many good and godly people in here today. I know, I know many or most of you, and there's many, many good and godly people here today. But if that's where you're at, then you don't pat yourself on the back. It's not your power. It's not your determination. It's not your level of faith that brought you there. It was God's grace that changed you and formed you to who you are today. So grace affects our past, it affects our present, and it affects our future. As we go into verse 3 here, that grace teaches us where we are to keep our hope or or look for hope. It says in verse 13 that, that we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and great Savior Jesus Christ. Now, in the last verse, we left off with this, these words that as we live in the present age, the present age, and where we're living right now are two, between the two appearings of Jesus, the two advents of Jesus. Jesus came in the flesh. We know this. That's the Christmas story. It's what we celebrate every December. It's uh, what we hear the, 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 the Christmas carols about, what we see the, the kids do the plays about. Jesus came, but he, he's coming again, and we're living between those two times in this present age. And we know that at some point, Jesus is going to come. Before he, he does, we have to wait. Now, the word wait is, is hard for us to hear because we live in an impatient culture, right? We talked about before how everything is immediately accessible at our fingertips. Information. Commerce, right? If it doesn't come in two days, we're starting to get kind of impatient, whatever we order. Food comes in seconds. Communication happens instantly. To to wait, we often think of as this idea of patience, that we have to wait. And, And that is true here, but this word wait means to live with eager and confident expectation. We wait knowing that that Jesus is going to come back at some point. When? We don't know, but when he comes back, he's going to appear. And this is the same word, epiphane. He's going to radiate. He's going to shine over the whole earth. 
And the first time he came, he was veiled in the flesh, and, and he came in grace. This time he will be unveiled, and he will come in glory. Everybody will know when Jesus comes back. And what we're going to say is, that's our Savior. First and foremost, that, that's our Savior. And all of our hope will be in him. And I think this is an important mentality to keep as a Christian, that God extends his grace in your life, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what uh, sin or struggle or hardship you're facing, that we keep this hope because we, we believe that God's grace is going to extend into our future and into eternity, that there's a hope we can keep in him in, in any situation. It's this reality that, that God isn't done. No matter where you are right now, God is not done in your life, and we keep this hope as we wait with expectation for the appearing and the coming of Jesus again. And when he does, all things will be made right. Everything. And we're, we're going to be his, right? It's going to be our Savior that's coming. And the fact is that the Bible does speak a bit, quite a bit, about the second coming of Christ. But we, we don't know all the details. We don't know when he's coming. And even this verse itself, many say the appearing of, of the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. It, it, the question is, does this refer to the rapture or does this refer to his physical second coming? And the answer is yes. It refers to the rapture or his physical second coming. We, we don't know for sure how it's going to work, but we have this hope and we wait for this blessed coming of Jesus. And when he does... All the good work that he started in us will be completed. There is an end coming for all of us that we can keep the utmost of hope in no matter where we are now. And the reason is because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. And so a, a quick recap as we, as we move on into a, a, another couple quick lessons here. Is that, that grace, in the first three verses, if you didn't pick up on this, it, it affects it changes our whole past, our present, and our future. That, that salvation in God does not just affect one part of your being, but all of your being for all of eternity. And we have this tendency at times to, to, to look at, at salvation as, as, as a past static event. And I think we often say, like, yes, I was saved when I was seven in 1985 at this one particular event at this one particular night. I, I was saved is how we say it. But grace and salvation is something that, that works in you and changes all of who you are. That in the past, that you're saved from sin's penalty the moment you place faith in Jesus Christ. And the theological word there is justification. That in the present, right now, day to day, moment by moment, that through his grace and his salvation, we're freed from sin's power. And we could be made into a new person. The theological word there is sanctification. And in the future, that one day, as we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will be completely delivered from sin's presence. That's called glorification. That grace covers every part of your life. But as we move on in this kind of long run-in sentence from Paul, this is where he finally wraps it up in verse 14. He says, he's talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself 
a people that are his very own, eager or, or zealous to do what is good. Just look at those first few words there. Jesus gave himself for us. Jesus gave himself for us. If, if you really reflect on that, of, of what that means, and we're going to be remembering that in, in a moment here in communion, but G- Jesus gave himself for you. The sacrifice of Christ should, should humble you. That he, he did that for you. And if, if you're looking for grace, a, a symbol of grace, if you want to see the full picture of God's grace, then you just, you just look at the cross. Jesus gave himself for you. And he died on the cross in a horrific and painful way to pay for the price of your sins and redeem you. I, I spoke at Haven Homes this, this last week, as I had said, and, and I, I just talked about the importance of knowing Jesus and remembering all that Jesus had done in your life and to the group of of, of residents there, and, and I never know at times um, what 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 impact I'm having. Um, about half of them have their eyes closed, and you never know for sure who's hearing what. But I, I, they know, and and I had a great conversation with with a guy after named Richard, and he was about the same. He's the same name as my dad, same age as my dad, and we just talked for a while, and and he just said, you know, I looks me in the eyes as I, I I've been studying a lot about what Jesus did for me. And his, his eyes started to well up with tears, and he said he, he took so much insult and pain, and he was whipped, and his, his hands and his feet were pierced, and he took upon, not only that, but the spiritual burden of all of my sins, and, and, he's, and he's starting to get to the point where he can't talk. And he just said, and he did that for, and he stopped. I said, Richard, he did that for you. And he just nodded. Jesus gave himself for you. He gave himself for us to redeem us. And grace teaches us the immense depths of God's love and what he did. It's, it's incredible to reflect on. And I think so many times we, we, we cover all of this, this Christendom, this faith, and, and what we can do for God and, and how impressive we are to him and how much faith we can have. And, and, and I think First John 4 summarizes it well when we think about the love and the grace of God. That this is, this is how God showed his love among us. That he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The depths of God's love and grace are personified in Jesus and exemplified on the cross. Grace teaches us about how much God really loves us, and it is for the purpose to redeem us. And that, that means to purchase, by the way. Redeem is, is kind of like paying the penalty of a slave or, or someone who's, who's in bondage in some way, and you, you pay the price of their crime, and now you've released them. So, so Jesus has paid for us on the cross for a reason, that, that we could become a people that are his very own. He wants to own us. He wants to purchase us. And he did that on the cross. 
because of his grace and because of how much he loves you. And all of this was done not, not because he had to, not because we deserved this. He doesn't love us because we're just so lovable. He, he loved us because he's loving, because he chose to. And all of salvation is covered in God's unending grace and immeasurable love. Jesus died for you because he wants to set you free and make you his own. As we wrap up shortly, because I want to get back to reflecting on that sacrifice of, of Christ in our lives. But we read verse 15, and, and he kind of just summarizes the matter here of everything he said before this. And, and grace of God, it really teaches us what, what really matters in our lives. And he says in verse 15, These, then, are the things you should teach. These, these things are, are things you should encourage and rebuke one another with. And don't let anyone look down on you for it. We, we can get ourselves wrapped up in debating some really dumb things in life. All that really matters is that Jesus died for you. All that matters is how you find salvation in him. And, and these are the things we should be teaching. These are the things we should be encouraging and correcting one another with. God loves you so much and his grace is so large that he died for you. He's willing to forgive you that you can be redeemed and saved in his name. Grace, the grace of God teaches us what really matters. And you know, at times we just we forget. We, we get so distracted with all of the ins and the outs in lives and, and we get angry and, and we get anxious and, and all these things that, that just don't matter for eternity. They just don't. And that's, that's why Jesus ordained something like communion. That's why he told us that, that as we gather, we are to remember him and remember his sacrifice. Because that, that's what really matters. That's, that's all that's going to make a difference between where you are now and where you are for eternity is, is what Jesus did. That's, that's what matters. And it's this time as we really reflect on, on his sacrifice that we understand who he is. We spend a lot of time just talking about that now, but also, also who we are. Why did Jesus need to die? Why did Jesus need to be our sacrifice? Well, the short answer is, is because we needed it. Because we are all broken and imperfect and, and people with sin and weaknesses, and, and, and we needed his help. We needed his saving. So community is the time to, to even look inward and just reflect on, on, on where you are. Paul, in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, talked about why he needed to know his weakness. It's to understand God's grace. And there's something he was struggling with in his life, and he's praying over and over that, that God would just take it from him. We don't know what it was, but that God would take this from him. But Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, Therefore I'll boast all the more and be glad about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Communion is a time to remember what he did on the cross, but to remember who we are as well. We're not perfect. There's only one perfect man who ever lived, and, and that man died on the cross. And those weaknesses, those sins, those struggles that we try to forget, they, they remind us that we need a Savior, and that God's grace is sufficient for you. That God's grace can cover all the sins, and his power then is made perfect in our weakness. And so today, as we're going to take a quick moment to 
silently reflect. I, I want us to all think about those weaknesses in our lives and, and come to a place of just, just repenting before God. and Saying, yes, God, I, I, I've made mistakes. I have these things I need to bring to you. And just evaluate and examine your own heart and, and bring them to him. But, but before we do that, I just want to make sure you understand, if you're new here today, what communion is. This, this is something we do to simply remember what Jesus has done. This is not a means to grace. You're not going to be brought to, closer to God in some, in some physical way because of this, but it will bring you to a spiritual awareness of all that he's done for you and all that's, that's needing forgiveness in your life. So it's not sacramental. It's also not something we, you need to pass a class for or be a member of. This is for anyone who professes faith in Jesus. But this, this is a time to reflect it's a time to remember and, and to, to have this reverent moment between you and God. And so what we do is, is we take a moment to examine ourselves that, that we'll do just, just for a quick minute or two, just in the silence of this place, that you can bear yourself before God, that you can reflect in yourself and just, just seek forgiveness in him and, and trust that his grace is sufficient for you and that and pray that he makes you into the person that he wants you to be. So let's take that moment now in silence as we prepare our hearts before communion. Lord, as we take this moment of silence and reflection, and, and I pray for all of us right now that this wasn't enough time, uh, that this becomes something we do throughout the day and then throughout the week, that we take these regular moments to reflect with you. But God, I pray for anyone here who's been living in the shame of their sin, who's been living uh, in a way where they just ignore the sin in their life, that we, we simply would just, just understand the truth that we've all sinned. We all fall short of your glory. But in that, we know that there is great and sufficient grace upon grace upon grace that can forgiveness forgives of that sin. And we know that if anyone thinks that they are without sin, that they're simply lying to themselves and that the truth of God is not in them. But if we confess our sin, God, we believe that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of all sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, that in your name we could be made completely new and clean, that our sins are not just forgiven, but they are completely removed from us. So God, we, we trust in that. We keep hope in that. And we lean fully into your grace now in this moment. But God, as we remember what you did on the cross, may you just speak into our hearts in this time of communion, that you just bring us to a deeper spiritual appreciation, personal appreciation of all you've done and the, and the grace that you've extended to each one of us. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.